This special edition of Downtown Sports is being brought to you ad-free by Digital Market Battles, the marketing agency that helps your business fill their pipeline with high-value leads. They will meet your conversion goal no matter what. Just head on over to digitalmarketbattles.com or call 1-800-811-4095 to schedule a discovery call today. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. This is a Digital Market Battle special. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. Let's dive right into this. We got two guests today, but you know what? The first guest is somebody who's been a friend of the show since it began last year. He's been literally the man. He's commentated on the NFL on Nickelodeon. He is the radio voice of the Clippers. Beast, tell him who we got today. We have the great one, the son of the Birdman, Ian Eagle. The radio voice for the Los Angeles Clippers on 570 AM in Los Angeles for ESPN. We are pleased to welcome the young bird, Noah Eagle, to downtown sports. Noah, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. How are you doing today? Gentlemen, I am doing well. You know, I, I've heard all this talk about J&J around the, the vaccine world, but there's only one J&J I care about. That's John and John That's and the right. Downtown Sports Podcast. I'm thrilled That's to be right. here, guys. That's Beautiful. right. Thank you. Yep. You know what? Hey, by the way, Moderna all day. Let's go. I'm also one. a Moderna man. So you know Woo! what? We're already off to some good vibes. <laughs> Definitely. Beautiful. Definitely. Let's, so let's dive in real yeah. quick. Um, Kawhi Leonard. Paul George having great seasons both, but the key so far, at least to me, has been Rajon Rondo. Yeah, Rondo has been such a, a perfect addition for this team, guys. And, and when he was acquired at the trade deadline, I think a lot of people were curious what the fit would look like and how he would replace Lou Williams, who nobody wanted to see go because he had meant so much to this team for the last three seasons he was what made the Clippers what they are now. He was really one of the main reasons for it. And so to lose a player like that is never easy. And the Clippers didn't want to have to give him up. But in order to get something, you generally have to give something. And boy, did they get something. Rajon Rondo brings championship pedigree. He is a voice in the locker room. Guys respect what he has to say. And his play on the court has been excellent. He has shown that he can turn back the clock a little bit from time to time. He had 18 points a couple nights ago and a loss to Denver. And then he comes back and he's just dishing out assists left and right. Once again, in the win against the Lakers, he's in double figure scoring. He's getting out assists like it's candy. It, it's been, it's been really fun to see because he's been almost that glue that they needed to meld the first and second units together and he's been exactly what they were looking for, really, in the early portion of the season. It's also very interesting here, and I want to bring this note up, too, with the different philosophies of the coaching that they had over the past couple of years. Literally a year ago, it was Doc Rivers. Whole different system, really wanted to get the best out of his players. Ty Lue comes in. You wondered, were the Clippers going to pick up from where they left off, or was it going to be kind of a whole do-over for them? But it looks like the Clippers haven't missed a step. What's been... If you've seen any comparisons or contrasts with Ty Lue's system to Doc Rivers' system, what would it be? I think the best way to exemplify the difference that we've seen was actually last night's game against the Lakers. So the Clippers, they end up 
dominating the game. The Lakers didn't have LeBron or Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis left nine minutes in. But the Clippers went out and did their job. And Kawhi Leonard going into the fourth quarter only had 11 points. Now, last year under Doc Rivers' system, you knew who was going to be getting theirs. Kawhi was going to get his. Paul George was going to get his. Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell were going to get theirs. That's how it worked. That's how the offense was predicated. But this year, you don't know who's going to be getting theirs. There could be a night, and there have been nights, where Marcus Morris has 30-plus. There could be a night where Avita Zubats has 24. There could be a night where Reggie Jackson has 32. He's had big games this year. There could be a night where Patrick Beverly has a big scoring night. But that's how the offense is predicated. on. And it's Nick Batum, another one who's had some big games for this team. When Serge Ibaka was healthy, he had some big scoring output. So this season – while they are playing through their stars and the offense generally, the ball is funneled to their stars, Teron Lou has made them playmakers more this season than they have ever been before. They're both averaging career highs in assists, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And now you add Rajon Rondo, that's instant offense. And he's finding guys in spots that we didn't even know were open before. He's passing people open. Like they're not open, but then he delivers a specific pass to a specific spot and all of a sudden they are open. It's incredible to watch. And so I think the ball movement, the playing through each other, and, and T. Lou has mentioned this. He has said after a couple of games that the guys enjoy this type of play. It's fun to play this style of basketball because it's sharing the ball, it's, and it's winning basketball more than anything. But the offense, it, it really does lead itself to anybody can go off on any given night. And we've seen that, especially recently, when Kawhi Leonard or Paul George have been out of the lineup, they've been – better than they were last year without those guys because the offense is much more predicated on, hey, everybody eats. You know, um, and everybody eats, and that's a good philosophy talking with Noah Eagle. He is the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. All-around great guy. But um, want to ask about Paul George. The thing with him was last year and in other years and when he was on the Pacers – if he wasn't having a good scoring night, he wasn't having a good night. He was giving up defensive stops. He wasn't passing the ball well. Now, if Paul George isn't having a strong shooting night, he's passing assists. He's drawing double teams and kicking it out. He's playing better defense. It seems that Paul George this year has finally taken that step to where if he isn't scoring, he could still be productive on the floor. Yeah, John, I think that the biggest shift in his philosophy is PG. I think it's, it's funny because he's about six foot nine. We don't understand just how unbelievable of a shooter he is. Adam Oslin, who is my somewhat partner, he's our host in pre and post for our radio broadcast. He likes to call him the six nine Steph Curry because his shooting ability is out of this world impressive. His ball handling ability is absurd. He can do everything offensively. And so, yeah, he has that little Steph Curry part to his game when you really watch him on the floor, but he only does it at six or seven inches taller than Steph actually is. I think the biggest difference this year is over the past 10 years of his career, the first decade of his career, he was reliant on that jump shot because that's the best part of his game. He's a jump shooter. He's an elite jump shooter in the NBA. And so when he wasn't having a great game, he was still relying that he was going to shoot himself out of the slump. This year, what we're seeing, Teron Lou has preached from day one, paint attacks, paint touches. He wants everybody who has the ball to attack the paint, get two feet with into the paint, because that's going to draw the defense in 
and then you can kick it out to the open shooters, which the Clippers have a whole lot that can knock them down. They're the number one three-point shooting team right now this season. And outside of one year where the line was shortened in the 90s, they're the best three-point shooting team by percentage in the history of the NBA. And that's because they draw the defense in and they're not hunting for threes. They're middle of the pack in terms of three-pointers attempted, but they're top five and three-pointers made because they're getting open looks from the outside. And Paul George, Paul George has certainly fallen into that mentality where if the jump shot's not falling now, he attacks the basket. And that wasn't the case before. Before, he was still settling for those jumpers. So I think that's what we're seeing more, and that's resulting in more assists. That's resulting in maybe drawing more fouls. That's resulting in getting himself into a bit more of a rhythm if he can get a lay-in to go. And even a game where he can go 5 of 21, which we saw a few nights ago, he can still score 20-plus by getting to the line, and he can still dish out six or seven assists, and the defense will be there as well. So we're seeing him evolve as a player without a doubt. And now the question mark is, can it translate to the playoffs, which I believe it can. As a true test, and this is going to be very interesting, the Clippers being one of the best at three-pointers made, May 9th, they're going to take on a team that's one of the best at defending against the three and number one in defense in the entire NBA, Tom Thibodeau's Knicks. And quite a journey they have been on. And here the Knicks are uh, three games into a long West Coast trip, and they will see the Clippers May 9th. You've seen the Brooklyn Nets and how they represented New York. What is going to be your take with the Knicks? And what have you seen from the Knicks all throughout the course of this year that you've really gained a great impression about? Yeah, so the Clippers and Knicks played earlier in the first half of the year. And the Clippers, you know, I think that at the end of the day, just had a little bit more talent on the floor. But, man, Julius Randle looked so impressive. And this was even before he's been on this stretch run where he just looks like an all-NBA player. And Emmanuel quickly really impressed as well. Now, this was before they had traded for Derrick Rose. And so things have shifted a little bit. Uh, but quickly was somebody who he played really well. Lou Williams was still on the Clippers. Those two exchanged pleasantries. And, and IQ had said that Lou was somebody he always looked up to and modeled his game after. And you can see it. There's a lot of similarities between the two of them. And if, if Emmanuel quickly could have Lou Williams' career, I think he'd sign up right now. I think every player would, just about every player at least, would sign up for that right now. Someone who's got over 15,000 points in his career. And so uh, the Knicks have been so impressive to me. There's so much that that I, I look at them and I just say, man, I did not expect that to happen. The Julius Randle improvement is out of this world. The R.J. Barrett improvement is crucial. Mm. The defensive tactics. I mean, Tom Thibodeau to me is the coach of the year. And Julius Randle is clearly the most improved player of the year. It's a, a ton of credit. They've done everything the right way. And that's, that's really the biggest key is for the longest time, it felt like they were trying to cut corners. They were trying to find the, the quickest solution to get back to relevancy. And now they're just going about it the right way. And you bring up the Brooklyn Nets. That's exactly what they did, right? To get to this point and to draw the free agent, same with the Clippers. They built the culture first. The Clippers had Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, Montrez, Harold taking Golden State to six games when they had no right to do so a couple of years ago. And Kawhi Leonard saw that and said, I like that. Let me let me see if I can go there and make a difference. For the Nets, D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and Jared Allen, and they're going to the playoffs and they're giving Philly a run for their money. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant took note and they saw that. And so I think for the Knicks, as opposed to just relying on being the Knicks, they're finally 
developing their chemistry and developing this culture the right way. And that's a lot of credit to Tom Thibodeau, a lot of credit to Leon Rose in that front office, and a ton of credit really to the players for buying into this team-first defensive style. Because in the modern NBA, it's hard to get players to buy into a defensive mindset. But the Knicks have certainly done it. So it should be a fun matchup between the two. Clippers have one of the best offenses of all time. So it's really one of those movable forces versus the whatever, something object, whatever the yeah. analogy is. Yeah. But it, whatever that analogy is, it'll be fun because the, the Knicks definitely want to get you into what is seemingly like a Hunger Games-esque type of matchup. And shockingly enough, this is a matchup between two four seeds in their conference. Who'd have ever thought? Next question. The Clippers are the four seed in the Western Conference, but... I think a lot of people, including myself, look at them as probably the team that's most equipped to make a finals run at this point. You look at the Suns, you like what they're doing. Chris Paul's turned back the clock. Great work. You look at the Jazz, without Donovan Mitchell, they're not a top, they're not a top contending team without Donovan Mitchell. They need to get him back quickly. Right now, the Clippers seem to be healthy at the right time, poised at the right time playing the right kind of basketball. And Paul George said it when Rajon Rondo came onto this team, he said, we now have a vocal leader in the locker room that will hold us accountable. Do you think the Clippers are finally primed to beat Big Brother, make a run, and get into the NBA Finals? Well, they've got all the pieces. And I think that's the, the biggest first step you've got to take. And, and they, they had all the pieces last year as well. So now what's the next step? Well, the coaching changed. We talked about it. Definitely has made somewhat of a difference. And you can see that in the on-court product that they're putting out there night in and night out. John, you mentioned that they're getting healthier. That has been key. Kawhi Leonard is now back. He's getting himself back into rhythm hasn't necessarily scored the ball as much as we are accustomed to seeing him score the last couple of games. But what he is doing, it's not because they've needed him to score. What he's doing is playing within the flow of that offense. He's driving and finding his open teammates for easy baskets, and that's getting them into rhythm. So Marcus Morris can go out there and score 20-plus, or Vita Zubac can have a double-double. And Kawhi has been very willing as a passer to help his guys out. So it's not for a lack of rhythm to me. It's actually that... He's just taking what the defense is giving him. Patrick Beverly has now returned for a couple of games. He looks like himself, so I'm not too worried about that. And now he's been added to a bench unit and bolstering a bench unit defensively that needed some perimeter defense. So you've got him and Rondo, two pesks on the outside. That's tough if you're an opposing offense. Serge Ibaka is the last piece of that puzzle. He's still out with a back issue, so the hope is he can return as we get close to the playoffs. But Fortunately for the Clippers, they were able to scoop up to Marcus Cousins. And Boogie has been a welcomed addition. He has played really well as their backup center. And so it feels like they've got the pieces. But a lot obviously can happen when you get into a playoff series. And, and the playoffs are all about matchups. And last year, the Clippers fell into one that wasn't good for them. Nikola Jokic really helped to bury them in that second round. And so if the Clippers get the right matchups, everything can fall into place. But you mentioned Phoenix is definitely tough. Utah is definitely tough. Denver is still very tough. So you've got a lot of teams, and I'm not even mentioning the Dallases. Luka Doncic, you never want to see in a seven-game series, which the Clippers know. Portland, Damian Lillard, you never want to see in a seven-game series, which the Clippers know. And if the Lakers are healthy, they're still the Lakers. The, the West is as loaded as they come, and right now nobody wants to play against Steph Curry. Oh, yeah. So you've got all these opportunities, all these options. 
it's just going to make for a fun playoffs. And I think the Clippers have everything, all the tools, all the, all the pieces that they need. So it's just about now executing what they do best. Talking with Noah Eagle, the radio voice for the Los Angeles Clippers on 570 AM Los Angeles. Other than the Rondo trade, at what point did you see the Clippers really starting to take off and really kind of turn things around? They started off a little bit slow. They had a little speed bump middle of the season. Obviously, the Rondo trade changed things. But kind of before that, was there a moment where you said, hmm, I think the Clippers are going to finally start to go on that run that we've kind of been waiting for? So we, we had a, a feeling because they had won prior to losing in New Orleans about a week and a half ago. They had won 17 of 20 games. Hmm. And I think we had a feeling that was going to happen because there was a nine-game homestand. The Clippers had, had been more on the road than they were at home for the, the, the first half of the season and the start of the second half of the season. And so we just kind of thought, all right, they have two and a half weeks straight where they're going to be in L.A. That's going to be huge for them to get some practices in. It's going to be huge for them to be sleeping in their own beds, not have to wake up at obscure hours to test on the road. There are all these factors that go into it in the modern day NBA with the COVID protocols. And so as a result, I think we circled that point just a little bit after the All-Star break as, hey, this could be the takeoff point. Sure enough, that's what it was. Now, it coincided with that Rondo trade as well. And so I think it was good to implement him and implement Boogie Cousins and Ryoki Farrell and all these new additions during that nine-game homestand when they had the time here in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, but I don't know. I think, to me, that was the, the shifting point. That was the turning point. The other one that you can point to is actually their first three-game losing streak of the season was going into the All-Star break. And I think it was a wake-up call of, hey, we need some things we need to fix. We've got some things late in the fourth quarter in clutch situations, we need to fix that. And sure enough, before the All-Star break, they were one of the worst teams in the clutch. Since then, since the All-Star break, they've been top five in terms of clutch net rating. And that's been partially because Rondo's been there, but partially because they're understanding that they can't just go full isolation. They've got to continue that offense that has been so successful for the first three and a half quarters into the final five minutes of that fourth quarter. And so I think we're seeing a lot of those things that were problems early have become solutions. Now there are still some small issues and some small holes that need to be filled, but they've got five more games to do it in the regular season. And then maybe in, in some into that first round, not to mention because they've already clinched the top four seed in the West. That means they're going to have a minimum of a week from their last regular season game to their first playoff game. That's plenty of time to practice, get in the gym and make sure you can work out some kinks. All right, Noah, Mr. Young Bird Eagle, let's get your crystal ball out. Let, let's uh, let's do some <laughs> predicting here because I know we can't necessarily talk about finals matchups or potential finals matchups, but I think in the East, it's almost a foregone conclusion that the Nets are going to make the NBA finals. If the Clippers get there, what do you think happens in that NBA final scenario? Man, I haven't used my crystal ball since 2007. I'm going to have to dust it off and make sure it still works. Yeah, no, I, I'd say that the Clippers and Nets match up really well. We've seen that the first two games they've played this, this regular season where they've been real close down to the wire. Basically, full 48 minutes have been back and forth. And the first matchup, the Clippers were missing Patrick Beverly, and the Nets were actually completely healthy. One of those seven games where they had all three stars – and yet the Clippers, even without Beverly in there and Kyrie Irving was the one who went nuts for the Nets as a result, 
Clippers were still right there at the end, still had chances to win that game, and that was in Brooklyn. Then you shifted to L.A. Kevin Durant wasn't playing, but Harden and Kyrie were. And for the Clippers, they had Beverly back, and I think they were whole, at least for the most part, whole. And so, and yet the Nets find a way to win. Harden came up with a big play late where Kawhi Leonard was going inside to tie the game in the final 10, 15 seconds, and Harden stepped in and took a charge. And that was the game. But my point being, and that, I will say the thing with Paul George in that game, heavy minutes restriction. I think he only played 17 or 18 minutes. It was his first game back after he missed a number of games with a foot issue. And so you look at these two teams, clearly they're very well evenly matched. Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Kevin Durant have gone head-to-head a lot throughout their careers and have had some classic matchups over the years. Kyrie Irving and the bevy now of Clippers guards, which is going to include Rajon Rondo, that's an exciting matchup because Rondo, especially in the playoffs, will turn it up a notch, first of all. And second, you know he's going to be talking a whole lot during the game. And we've seen that sometimes Kyrie can be impacted by some of that talk on the court. Mm. And then you look at James Harden and Paul George, two of the most creative offensive minds in the entire association. And Harden has stepped up his defense. Paul George has been a defensive player of the year candidate throughout his career. And it's just, to me, it's so fun. It's such a fun matchup between the two. I don't know how it would go. I I would hope it would go seven games so we could, uh, the NBA community deserves it to to get seven games of those types of back and forths. Uh, but it's it's evenly matched, so I hope we see it. Let's put it that way, John. I hope we get that. My crystal ball says inconclusive. Talking with Noah Eagle, radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Going to get you out of here on this last question, and it's really interesting. COVID-19 has been greatly dropping in the state of California. It's dropping dramatically. It's really dropped all over the United States, and we're starting to see things returning to normal. How is They've been going for the broadcasting for you up in Los Angeles. Have they been allowing you to be at courtside? Are you calling the games from a remote location? What's been kind of happening? And is there going to be change where fans are going to be back and you guys will be back broadcasting on, on a normal ground again? Yeah. So the fan thing is definitely interesting, John, because I, I didn't think that we were going to have a lot of fans. I thought we would have just a small percentage going into the playoffs, which is what we've had in these last stretch of games, we didn't have fans until midway through the last month. And so we're, it's still new to us. Right. And we've only had allowed up to 3,500 or so 3000 in the building, but there was a report yesterday that by playoffs, we could have up to 50% in Staples center. And that's a huge bump. That's a huge energy boost in the building for the Clippers and the Lakers for that matter. If that's the case, that is a legitimate home court advantage at that point. At, right now, you're saying, oh, yeah, there's you feel a little bit different, but it's not the norm. You don't feel it, feel it. 50%, you probably feel it. You probably get that aura. And so that's a big step. And if that's true, that's huge. Now, there are some hoops you have to jump through to get in the building. You've got to test a number of times. You cannot go. There are no concessions available. You can't be doing a certain things that you normally would. So it's different. It's a different vibe. But to have a potential 50% fan base in Staples Center for a playoff game would be massive. It would be invaluable. So I'm looking forward to that. As for me, I I am in Staples Center. I have been there for the home games this year. Before fans, it was as if I was watching the greatest pickup game on earth. It was bizarre. (laughs) It was as if I just stumbled into like 
the nicest lifetime fitness of all time and guys are running back and forth and it's just elite, elite style of play. But now we've got the fans in the building, which has been good. For the road games, I do it from a studio here in, in downtown LA. My assumption, I don't know, I haven't been told officially, my assumption is that'll be the case for this season. And then next season we'll return closer to normal, which is all good. You know, I've, I've been just thrilled to be able to work, honestly, and, and to be able to do the games, period. I did every game from a studio last year. So we're already a step in the right direction where I've got half the games in person and half the games remotely. So I'll take whatever I can get. And as long as the Clippers are still playing as we head towards July, I'll be a happy camper. Definitely. Look, I can tell you this, if Yankee stadium this past couple days with the Houston Astros, even with 10,000 fans, you were able to hear it as if it was 40,000 fans. And we're only at 33% of fans that will be allowed in New York. So this is a big difference, but if that but imagine 50% compared to 33 is going to be tremendous. I mean, I cannot yeah. wait for that. No, it, it'll be legit. Like it'll be a legitimate difference if that's the case. Matt, something so, you wanted to add very quick. Yeah. One last thing. One last thing, Mr. Youngbird. Um, if the Nets and the Clippers happen <laughs> to make the finals, what is the bet between you and dad? This is the same question we asked you last year when you first came on. Yeah. Look, I, you know what guys, I, we made some bets in the first two. It didn't go well for me. So now I'm wary of making more because I think I'm already going to be in debt the rest of my life based on our first two <laughs> bets, which isn't good. Like I, I left. I was good. I didn't, I don't really don't have too many debts in my life. And now I'm like, they're piling up real fast. And so I'm worried. because I, I learned my lesson early in life, gentlemen, where I don't know. I was probably eight years old. I stopped betting. I, I, I swore off betting for the rest of time after I lost a prized Pokemon card. I thought it was over. I thought that was it for me. It just, that was done. That's all I needed to hear. That's all that I needed. That would have broke my heart too. That would have broke my heart I don't even remember too. what the card was, but I was Please tell me it wasn't like a Charizard. I just I hope it wasn't one. a Charizard. I, still have I don't one think it was a Charizard. I think it was even somehow worse than that. And like, I, I couldn't live with myself again. So I, <laughs> I swore off betting. And yet for some reason, this Nets, Clippers rivalry has brought out the, the evil in me. It has come back to the surface. And I don't know what the bet's going to be, but I'm sure that it'll be something. And hopefully it'll be something that doesn't require more of my funds to leave my bank account. <laughs> well, regardless of which, we're in for an exciting final number of games. NBA playoffs right around the corner should be a very interesting journey. In 2021, Noah Eagle, radio voice for the Los Angeles Clippers on 570 AM in L.A., Thank you so much for taking some time to join us. Good luck to you and the Clippers for the rest of the season. Guys, thanks as always for having me, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. That was Noah Eagle, radio voice for the Clippers. When we come back, Robin Lundberg will join us, voice for Stat for Sports Illustrated Now, host of the Robin Lundberg Show on CBS Sports Radio. He'll join us right after this. And remember, no ads, so it's just going to be a quick – and we are back to downtown sports. I'm the beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We would like to thank the young bird, Noah Eagle, for joining us on part one of our show. And we have a little special. Another guest is here to join us today. And to welcome him, the mouth of the South, please tell me who we got today. 
You know, it, it, it's real funny how throughout the years I've run into quite a number of people. Now, um, this next guest, I ran into outside of Madison Square Garden when he was working for ESPN. He was doing man on the street interviews for Knicks games and stuff like that. I think that was back in 2013. I just reconnected with him, found him, found him on a Facebook friend suggestion, DM'd him, and well, here he is. He is one of the lead people on CBS Sports Radio. He is a guy that everybody goes to to talk about everything sports. The biggest thing that he's been investigating right now is the situation with Aaron Rodgers, and that's why we brought him in, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on Downtown Sports. Gives me great pride to welcome Mr. Robin Lundberg to downtown sports. Robin, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. I mean, I look at it, investigating. I mean, I know that at Sports Illustrated, we're, I'm covering it and stuff, and I've been talking about it on the radio. Uh, I, I didn't know I had my investigative reporter hat on for the Aaron Rodgers situation, though. I mean, well, if you're getting all the information from all the different sources and piling it all together, you that pretty much is investigating. So um, everybody knows what's going on supposedly it but I, the main thing about this story is that nobody really knows what's going on either he wants to stay or he wants to leave it's money it's not money it's treatment it's this uh, apparently aaron Rodgers made uh jerry kraus uh comparison between the green bay gm and you know jerry kraus so what is going on why is aaron unhappy and what's going to happen here well, I mean, like, it seems like an ego thing, right? Uh, uh, the root of his unhappiness, obviously, apparently stems from the Jordan Love selection, which I, I get in the moment. You know, you're close. You want him to draft someone else to help you get over the top. Um, you also want full assurance, given your career, that you're the guy going forward. No one's coming for your spot. There's no reason to be looking for your replacement. So that bothered him, obviously. I'm not so sure... What he's upset about now, I mean, obviously, there, there's a level of maybe pettiness involved here. Uh, and, and the Jerry Krause comparison is always a little funny because Jerry Krause did a good job. I, I know in the last dance, you know, he's vilified to a, a crazy degree. But look at the teams that Michael Jordan played on and, and the teammates he played with. Maybe, you know, he didn't want it to be broken up at a certain point, but they did get to that point in large part because of the contributions of the, of the GM. And one thing I don't buy is the notion that the Packers have somehow failed Aaron Rodgers or like this is some sort of team that he is, you know, he's of course elevating them. He's a great player. I'm not besmirching him. I mean, he's, you know, one of the all-time great quarterbacks. That's unquestionable. But he's playing behind a really good offensive line. He's playing with an excellent running game. He's got maybe the best wide receiver in the league. He's got an above average defense that, uh, really gave Tom Brady more trouble than anyone else on the run last year. They they picked Brady back-to-back times. He went three and out both times right after that. He had opportunities in that game. He didn't play poorly in that game, but he had opportunities he didn't seize in that game. So uh, to me, he's in a good situation, and, and it doesn't make sense to let spite ruin it um, at this. At the, you know, like you can go play where you want to play, dude. That's fine. Uh, if it's a contract negotiation, we've seen those play out publicly before. But I, I just um, I reject the idea that this is some team that that, you know, has done everything wrong around Aaron Rodgers. Aaron also hinted he would stay with Green Bay only if general manager Brian Gutekunst is fired. 
And that's kind of interesting to hear because, you know, Rodgers maybe felt like the talent around him, he wasn't getting the right talent. He feels like maybe he should have more Super Bowl rings than what he has now. This kind of all has come out of nowhere in a way. Like just it took till now with the Jordan Love sign, with Jordan Love draft to kind of now hear Rodgers' true feelings. Now he's been speaking to several of his teammates, former teammates. I think John Kuhn he recently spoke to. What has kind of been going around with that? What is Rodgers' real message here? Like, what does is he, he really want to I guess. <laughs> does he really want to leave on his own? Because right? maybe he kind of feels like maybe I don't want to leave, but I'm kind of being backed into a corner here. Well, I, I don't get how he's being backed into a corner. I mean, they don't fire the guy. That's how you're being backed into a corner. I mean, it seems personal, right? Um, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when his problem was Mike McCarthy. You know, mm-hmm. and when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, to me, he's the best ever at never getting any individual criticism. I never hear anybody criticize. What is he, one in four in NFC Championship games? Obviously not all his fault, but usually all-time greats who are in that position, they get criticized a little bit for it. Again, last year, he had the chances. He didn't come through. He didn't run the ball on that one down, but everybody only talks about the floor call um, uh, to kick the field goal after the, the fact. So I, I, I have no idea w- what he wants, um, but he, he clearly uh, – you know, there's a little bit of it's everybody's fault but mine going on uh, in, in this situation. And sometimes relationships run their course. I get that, too. I mean, we would have said a year ago, why does Tom Brady really want to leave the Patriots? You know, um, and look how that turned out. So you can't really criticize that, uh, you know, teach their own. I mean, he wants to I don't know where the Jeopardy studio is, L.A. somewhere. You know, if he wants to be closer to, to the Jeopardy studio, I don't know where the dude wants. But uh, all I all I do know is that uh, I, I think. Um, the grass isn't always greener, uh, if you will, away from Green Bay. So there's also during the NBA, the NFL draft, there was word of the Broncos were looking to acquire Rodgers. Looked like at times it was a done deal. Is Denver still in the mix maybe for Aaron Rodgers? Should the situation with Green Bay really flame out as it seems like it is? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, how many teams? You have to look at the teams that um, need a quarterback, right? Uh, and makes sense. It's, it's not as many as you think. And there's only Denver's probably been the team I've heard specifically linked to Rogers the most, right? Um, the, the Raiders probably next, but the, it's not this huge group of teams. When you, when you take into account the, the teams that have a quarterback um, and the teams that just drafted a quarterback that, that only leaves really a, you know, a handful of options, I think for Rogers and those two teams, um, are, are the first two that, that popped to mind for me. So in doing my research, we're talking with Robin Lundberg. He is a host on uh, Sports Illustrated. He's a host on CBS Radio. Um, in talking, in doing the research for this, I found out that apparently Green Bay's GM offered Aaron Rodgers a contract that would have made him, at least for one year, the highest paid quarterback. His whole deal is he wants job security past 2021. The Packers are saying that he has it because he's under a current contract. But with the way that the contract is structured, it looks like they can give an easy break at the end of this season, gain money against the cap on Rodgers' contract, and Rodgers wants something that's going to actually provide him real security and real money beyond 2021. The Packers don't seem to be willing to do that. What's going on with that? Well, from what I've read, and and I'm not a cap cap expert, but they have to make a decision on Jordan Love at some point, right? And 
uh, do you want to make that decision without seeing him on the field, whether they pick up the, the next option or activator in his contract, um, which I, I think uh, would be up after, you know, they'd be facing that situation after this season, which is why you're, you're talking about that clock and maybe where some of Rogers consternation comes from and saying, Hey, I, I was just the MVP. You know, I've been here forever. Lock, lock it up. Uh, let, let's, let's kill the noise. Um, but they, they didn't draft love for no reason either. Now, can you make that decision without him on the field? I mean, that you're, you're supposed to be able to evaluate guys, I, I guess, but that's probably the, the hang up there. And, and, you know, Rogers played himself into a situation where I guess he can say you played yourself green Bay by, by, by making that pick. So that brings me to this question. I think it's very, uh, I think it's an important thing to bring up. What will be the state of the NFC North? If Rogers does not go back to green Bay, you'll have Jordan love leading the way you have possibly Justin Fields. Could he possibly see action for the bears in his first year? You have Jared Goff now, who's going to be the new quarterback for the lions. And, you know, we might see some noise coming out of the Vikings with Kirk Cousins at the helm. What is going to be the state of the NFC North if we don't see Aaron Rodgers this year in for Green Bay? You know, it's funny. You asked this question the other day of whether the Packers could still be a playoff team. And your immediate instinct is no, right? Like, no, of course not. But then you look at the division. And I'm not so sure they can't be. Because that division, you know, to win it, 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 it could be almost reminiscent of what we saw from the NFC East a year ago. Uh, because, the, you know, I, to me, Rodgers, I know we're in a 17 game season now, so I don't have to put I don't know how to put those numbers into perspective, like when I'm spitting out win totals yet. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't adjusted. But to me, the Packers without Rodgers are like in that seven and nine to nine and seven window. If everything goes right, they're nine and seven. If things go poorly, they're seven and nine, you know, that, that kind of window. And that's generally not good enough to make the playoffs. But in that division, it could be. And, and I, I think every single one of the teams in that division has some degree of question at quarterback in that sense. I mean, we cannot rule out the possibility that Jordan Love is good. They drafted him for, for a reason. And, and I feel like no one's even broaching that possibility. Chicago um, is the most interesting team to me, and, but that's, again, dependent on either uh, Andy Dalton or more likely, I think, Justin Fields at some point this season. Uh, same thing goes for the Vikings, you know, how they feel about Kirk Cousins, where he's at in his career. And then, you know, Jared Goff didn't exactly set the world on fire with the Rams. So I think you're you're looking at a division that would be in that sense, completely up for grabs versus with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I think you you almost write in pen that the Packers win it. Well, we're going to get you out of here on this last couple of questions, Robin. Robin Lunderberg, host of CBS Radio, host on Sports Illustrated. Who is Mr. Love, the quarterback that the Packers have uh, started this entire mess with Aaron Rodgers over? They seem to love him enough to bring him on, even though he was the best player on their draft board. They're saying they're committed to Aaron Rodgers. They want Aaron Rodgers to be their quarterback beyond 2021, but they haven't traded or released Love or done anything with him. Who is this guy, and why do the Packers have such an enamor? Why are they so enamored with him? I say this all the time, you know, in regard to these prospects. I, I don't know. <laughs> like a lot of these guys, Zach Robert, who watched all these Zach Wilson games at BYU? I mean, point them out to me, right? The, the, that guy in the middle. <laughs> uh, all right. Or Trey Lance, right, at, at North Dakota State. Same thing goes for, for uh, Jordan Love. 
Um, but these guys get paid a lot of money to evaluate him. And, and you know, if, if he had entered the draft this year, where would he have been picked? With the run on quarterbacks, he, he probably would, would be picked in the, the fir- in the first round at some point, right? So I, I, I think that's the, the million-dollar question or the uh, – uh, what's the – is there a Jeopardy phrase for the, the question? It's just jump, double Jeopardy, right? There's no like, like – the final question. Yeah, final <laughs> whatever. Final Jeopardy. Yeah. Final Jeopardy. Go. That's the final Jeopardy question. Who is Jordan Love? And, and that ultimately is going to be the determining factor here because who was Aaron Rodgers when he took over for Brett Favre, right? Like, if you go back in time, we've seen this movie I remember. Before. I remember going back in time with this movie. Aaron Rodgers was a guy that everybody in the NFL or around the NFL knew was better than Brett Favre, but Brett Favre was still playing. This isn't that type of situation here. Well, did you know that for sure? We didn't see – I mean – Patrick Mahomes, we didn't know who Patrick Mahomes was, did we? No, I mean, true. until he, he came in for, for Alex Smith. That's my point is, you know, when you have a Brett Favre in place, you're talking about a Hall of Famer. When you have Aaron Rodgers in place, you're talking about a Hall of Famer. So your instinct is, yes, you, you keep going with, with that guy. Especially, you know, I don't think anybody planned for Aaron Rodgers to play as well as he did this last season. It surprised me a, a little bit. Um, but I, don't, I haven't seen anyone say anything definitive about Jordan Love whether he's not ready or he's great or he's somewhere in between, that's the big mystery. And even to this point, Green Bay is still looking to add a veteran quarterback, even with Love at the helm, even though as of now, Love is likely the only one to show up for OTAs. Well, yeah, he's the only QB on the roster. They're going to need another quarterback on the roster. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe Matt Flynn comes back into the equation somewhere. You remember Matt Flynn? He was a very solid backup to Rodgers for a couple of years. You know, needed him when Rodgers got hurt. I'm curious if Green Bay, if there is a veteran quarterback out there, is Green Bay looking to maybe add one? Yeah, I think they have. I mean, if Rodgers is not back, absolutely. You have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a necessity. Uh, whether that's as insurance for Love playing poorly or insurance for Love getting hurt. Um, so, yes, I, I think if Rodgers is not coming back, they absolutely will, will sign a quarterback. Robin Lundberg, CBS Sports Radio, Sports Illustrated, all around great guy, brand new father, by the way, congratulations. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. We hope to have you on again real soon. You got it. Take it easy, guys. Take it easy. That was Robin Lundberg of CBS Sports. And with that, we're going to end downtown sports. I want to thank the young bird, Noah Eagle. Also want to thank our last guest. Want to thank our statisticians, Crystal Large. I want to thank Tony Mainville. But before we leave beast where can they hear this episode other episodes our episode where we interviewed i and eagle the wayne randazzo episode your rant all the other dmv specials where can they hear them 13 different platforms where you can hear us we're on anchor breaker spotify radio public overcast pocketcasts google podcasts apple podcasts Cashbox, bullhorn pod bay listen notes and podcast addict we have rants episodes digital market battle specials every tuesday wednesday we are downtown sports and we are where sports come home for the beast of the east jonathan periente for digital market battles remember get your discovery call done today i am the mouth of the south john shaboni saying we're out thanks for listening goodbye <laughs>